Hello, hello. You've found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Today, we have a couple of topics to go into. We are going to discuss Joe Manchin and all his glory and the scrutiny that Kamala Harris is getting on her job so far. We wanted to talk about In the Heights, which we saw last night. Right. So Joe Manchin wrote an op-ed saying that he was not going to support the For the People Voting Rights Act, which is technically called S1 in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Sitting in the Senate, waiting to be approved. And we also have infrastructure, infrastructure. (laughs) We have a number of bills and policies that need to be sanctioned by the Senate Mm -hmm. and are not going to be because Joe Manchin also said he's not going to go for breaking up the filibuster. Right. Which is really the root of all evil. Now, Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, uh, Joe Manchin is from West Virginia, in case I forgot to mention that. Kirsten Cinema is also making noises about not wanting to break up the filibuster. It's very problematic because if we don't do it now, the Republicans will break it up when they come into power. Mm-hmm. They have no shame. They'll simply do it. Mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell won't have a uh, care in the world about abandoning the filibuster. And without it, the whole Biden agenda really is stopped dead in its tracks. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where we go from here. It's very frustrating to talk about it because you and I are talking about it. I think you and I are a little idealistic insofar as we think we're living in a democracy with these people in the Senate and the House as representatives of the people. And why won't they vote this way or vote that way? But we're really not. We're living in an oligarchy where the corporate money really calls the shots, and it's because of the corporate money that Joe Manchin is taking that he cannot or will not vote to protect voting rights. He's hiding behind this fig leaf of, I'm bipartisan Joe, you know. Well, specifically, he's getting money from the Koch brothers, the very, very right-leaning, oil-rich. Well, there's only one brother left. I think it's, I think Charles died, and I think David is still alive. (laughs) Their agenda is alive and well, that's for sure. I feel pessimistic that anything good can happen because he doesn't even respond, I don't think, to the wishes or leanings of his constituency. I think that's right, because apparently... And few do. 68% of his constituency, which are mostly white, Mm -hmm. they have a very low number of minorities in West Virginia, which is part of the problem, because voting rights for him isn't really that pressing. 68% of his constituency is for voting rights. Right. And as Connor Lamb, who is the congressman from Pennsylvania, I don't know where exactly in Pennsylvania he Mm -hmm. is. Now, he's a very moderate Democrat, and what he said was something that no one else has really stated, that getting rid of the filibuster would allow for more bipartisanship, not less. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why I think Manchin's a total hypocrite. Yeah. Because as we were talking about this last night, he claims that he's making this moral stand for this wonderful ideal of agreement on legislation. But he's really being more partisan than Mitch McConnell himself, because he's enabling this knee-jerk across-the-board opposition to anything that Biden puts forward by a partisan Republican caucus in the Senate. I just wish he would be honest about it and say, you know, I'm opposing this because my money comes from the Koch brothers and I can't afford to vote for voting rights or I will lose my seat in the Senate (laughs) because I won't have money for TV commercials. (laughs) You know, why couldn't he just say that? The press buys into it, too. I don't even buy their articles about, oh, no, he really does believe in this is a heartfelt conviction of his. Oh, there was a whole long article in the New York Times about why he believes. 
Kirsten Cinema is another one who said, when you don't have agreement in the Congress, you have to change your behavior, not just change the law. Laws are changed all the time. Right, that's their job. That's right. Yeah. And she's just such a dim bulb anyway. Well, let me ask you this. If Joe Manchin had a sudden change of heart, would we still be screwed because cinema also has to do that? She would have the same kind of conversion experience? I think she can be persuaded. Or is there one Republican who might vote with us or something? I think that she can be persuaded. Well, Lisa Murkowski might vote with us. But the idea that some people have is like, well, just primary him. You know, there's not another Democrat that would be oh, elected. Oh, right. That's right. There's, there's not another single one in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I can cut some slack for the idea that a Democrat from a conservative state has to tiptoe a little bit. Maybe I should put a call on his answering machine because I'm sure that I'm the reason he voted in favor of the Rescue Act. Because Really? Um, yes. I think it was my call because I called when he was saying he couldn't support it because it was too much money for people making $75,000 a year to give them this Oh, this, chunk of uh, money. This little check. And I called and I left the most respectful message I've ever left for an elected official ever. I framed it all around. I have great respect for you and what you're doing and what you stand for. And I have a disagreement to share with you, but I want to share it in the context of you knowing that I think very highly of you. And I said, I think that your stance on the cutoff for people to get COVID checks shows a certain contempt for working Americans that I know you don't have in your heart, but I think that that's what's coming through. And I made my point, but I did it very respectfully. And that's why he said, and, and he this is for Mike Lambert. He flipped. Yep. And I got my check. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Biden came out of the gate with such promise yeah. and, and goodwill, and it felt like things were going in our direction. Mm -hmm. And this has just put a stop to it. And I think that it's going to ruin our chances for 2022 and 2024. Mm -hmm. I don't want to project that far out. I mean, so many things could happen mm -hmm. before then. But between the vaccinations and getting the stimulus checks out, the thing that is really going to hurt us, along with everything else, is this business that's happening at the border. No matter what the reality is at the border, mm -hmm. the right is making it seem as if everything is out of control. And getting on to Kamala Harris, mm -hmm. Frank Bruni published an op-ed last Sunday saying something like, Kamala Harris can't win. Mm -hmm. And that's because she's been given these two mega projects one is the interface with El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, the sort of triad of countries in Central America. She's been tasked with reviving what Obama and Biden had put in place, having to do with giving money for infrastructure to those countries. Mm -hmm. The problem is there's so much corruption there. Mm. The money just goes out and nothing happens. Right. I mean, things happen that have nothing to do with anything that the people need there. Mm -hmm. Like the coffee growers, they want help making sustainable crops. Mm -hmm. And they're being taught how to farm coffee beans, which they already know how to do. Mm. So these kinds of goodwill gestures aren't helping them at mm -hmm, all. Mm -hmm. And the money does not seem to get where it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem. But there's an optical problem in that everybody is saying, why hasn't she gone to the border? I have two thoughts about that. One is she could do a photo op right. at the border. She was in South America. She was in Mexico. Why don't you just stop the border and mm -hmm. have your picture taken? Yeah. Because everybody's saying you're not there. Right. 
my other thought is it would just be to please the people who are criticizing her. And is that then worth capitulating to them? I wonder what you think of it. I'm a little bit at a loss because I haven't sensed that there's a big groundswell of concern about the border. I'm not hearing about it, but I'm sure it must be happening. But it, could it just be happening on Fox? Could it just be a right-wing drummed-up pseudo-issue? The problem is that so many people are coming over. The thing that's happening is families are not being let in. Mm -hmm. Children, unaccompanied minors, are being allowed to stay, but families are not being allowed to stay. So families are getting to the border. They're kind of pushing their children to go across the border so that they will at least be able to stay in the United States. Okay. And the families, if they were even to try, are being just turned away. How are they getting the kids across? They're literally floating them across the Rio Grande in inflatable... Illegally, not at a yes. crossing point. Or they have coyotes take them and the coyotes will just drop like it was quite the scandal. They dropped a two and a three-year-old and just right. dropped them literally over the wall. Oh, gosh. And that was all over the place. Mm. So it's the numbers of people who are coming in and mm -hmm. that's what the right is taking okay. up and making a pazurai yeah. about. That optically is not good for us. The border issues are so deep and deeply entrenched that to expect that one person right. is going to deal with turn that and turn it around in six months time is right. just insanity. But that's what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Those are the optics that we have to yeah. counter. I heard the interchange of the one reporter who said, why haven't you personally gone to the border? Is that when she said, I haven't gone to Europe? Yeah. She said, we've been to the border. And in other words, the administration is there, is working on right. the issue at the border. And as for her personal visit to the border, no, that hasn't happened yet. But she didn't think that was so important. And I, I thought she made her case pretty well. My concern for her as a candidate going forward mm -hmm. is that she has been given, along with the immigration crisis, the task of getting voting rights passed. Mm -hmm. And she can't do that with two people who are waffling on oh, right. the filibuster. Right. So that's a lose-lose. The expectation is that since she was in the Senate, she'd be able to work her magic right. on the other senators. Right. Okay, let me ask you this. If Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema decided they would vote for the Voting Rights Act, that would make 50 votes, I assume. Yes. Does the Voting Rights Act go through reconciliation where it only needs 50 votes? It can't go through reconciliation because it doesn't have anything to do with the budget. Well, in that case, it wouldn't even help if they did support it, because we wouldn't have 60. No, Manchin would have to support abolishing the filibuster. And voting for the act. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, the first thing he'd have to do right. is vote to abolish the filibuster. Right. The thing that he seemed to be invested in was this bipartisan examination of the oh. January 6th oh, right. riot. Right. And then, see, that really proves your point about the Koch brothers' money, mm -hmm. because he seemed to be really butthurt that the Republicans wouldn't stand. I right. think there was seven. seven. And that should have, in and of itself, proven to him that there was no opportunity for right. Republicans to Consensus. come on board with something. Yeah. 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 So back to Kamala. I think that Joe Biden is going to run for a second term, which I didn't think he was going to. There mm. was this sort of phrase that was floating around that he was going to be a transitional president. Right. And I, I always assumed that when he brought Kamala on board, that he was going to have her run. Right. This, but I think it's going to be too dicey. I don't think we can do it. I don't yeah. think we're going to have the numbers to do it. Yeah. The good news is that he's done this great work around the pandemic and the country's 
on its way to being back to something approaching normal or whatever we're going to call normal now. And that's got to help a lot. And that's the kind of, yeah, just the sense of relief that people are feeling to be getting back to life as it was. But then they'll forget. I absolutely believe that whatever is in front of us at the time is Mm -hmm. what's going to be important to the voters. It's like Trump and the pandemic. People didn't remember. I mean, his voters did, his supporters did remember that the economy had been good before the pandemic, but everybody else who voted against him voted against him because of the pandemic. Yeah. I think you're right about one thing, absolutely, and that is that if the economy is going strong mm-hmm. in, in 2024, then I think it will be very hard to displace Biden. And right. not only that, but Trump lost the last election. That's it. And he's and awful as now. he is. Exactly. Oh, we should talk about Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> Let's talk about Caitlyn Jenner and how much we hate her. Just for a moment. Okay. We don't need, don't need to do this too much, but we're going to talk about it in the heights anyway. But Oh, yeah. So what was it Jimmy Kimmel said? He likened her to Trump in a wig. And someone else said... That um, he was being kind because yeah. he's Trump in a bad wig. And Caitlyn Jenner accused him of being transphobic. Yes. Maybe he was, but she's a Republican. She's already transphobic, even though she's she trans. She never did anything for the LGBT community. She's a transphobe. You can't be a Republican transgender person and be for Trump and not be transphobic. I believe you. So she's got her own internalized transphobia that she's hurling out at people. So she's just projecting onto him, basically. I haven't really heard anything recently about the recall election for Newsom. I think he's going to cakewalk his way through Yeah, I do too. And can I just say, on a personal note, I hate Caitlyn Jenner's voice. Oh, I do too. There's something so artificial about it. Yeah. And it's not because she's transitioned from being a man. Right. There's something just Mm -hmm. inauthentic about her voice. She's a reality star, which means she's phony. That's the irony. Same with Trump. And she has no policies that she's put forward. Mm Mm-mm. She Mm-mm. just thinks that because she's famous, because she's been on a reality show, right. that she can then get elected like Trump was. Yeah. <sighs> on to the good news, which is In the Heights. In the Heights. A little background. Catherine and I saw it in, I think it was 2012, when it had won the Tony. Mm. And we saw it and loved it. And Lin-Manuel Miranda had left it. He played the lead Yuznavi mm-hmm. in it. And he then came to Los Angeles and played Yuznavi. So it was playing at the Patages here. Lin-Manuel Miranda was in it. We decided that we wanted to go and see him in it. And if we had been able to combine the two Mm -hmm. and had... Lin-Manuel Miranda in the original cast in New York. Right. That would have been the best of all possible oh, okay. worlds. Because the production in New York was better. Lin-Manuel Miranda was better. Right. And yet Anthony Ramos, who I do think played Philip Hamilton in Hamilton. Oh, okay. He plays Yuznavi. Right. In this. And I, I was thinking to myself, if he hadn't played that role, I don't think the movie would have been as good. He was right. so emotional. He was great. Yeah. And the Mr. Frosty was George Washington. Yeah, yeah, I knew he was in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. had to look him up because his face was so familiar. It was yeah. driving me crazy. So, in the Heights is about what I thought was a Dominican neighborhood in the upper part of Manhattan, but come to find out that there were Puerto Ricans in the thing, there were Cubans. Yuznavi was definitely from the Dominican. His family was yeah. from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. But it was a whole big mishmash. It was. I don't know if that reflects reality or not. I know when I lived on West 107th Street, it was very much a Dominican Republic neighborhood. 
there was more separation. And I have a feeling it was probably that way where Lin-Manuel lived as well, but he probably just liked the idea of making it a little more huh. multicultural. But yeah, because the, the abuela, she was Cuban. And the woman who owned the salon was from Puerto Rico. Right. Who knows? Maybe that's the way it was up there. I don't really know. I thought it was solidly Dominican when yeah. I was staying there. Yeah. That was my impression. Yeah. I didn't interview anybody. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know how the musical was, but in the movie, they went out of their way to have a lot of variety of kinds of people. It was Hispanic culture, yeah. but inclusive of a lot, lot of nationalities. Yes. And also what was so cool was in the crowd scenes, which is almost, it's almost all crowd scenes, different kinds of people, people of different ages, different body types. It was really kind of opened up what you expect to see in the cast of a musical, whether it's in film or on stage. Yeah. And I really like that. There are elements of magical realism in it mm -hmm. that weren't in the play. The play was wonderful, but I think that this went beyond what the play was as far as being accessible and being really emotionally kind of vibrant and having all those characters being really up close and personal. Yeah, that's true. Then there are homages to old classic films like there's the Royal Wedding Fred Astaire yes. movie yeah. where they do it along this time they do it on the outside of the building turned sideways yeah. and the Busby Berkeley stuff in the big swimming pool that was great that was awesome oh and I loved it when they showed those views of the swimming pool ballet people had lifesavers around them but the lifesavers looked like lifesavers that you eat <laughs> oh, they it was did? great yeah they were lifesavers but they were lifesavers <laughs> it was great one thing that was said about the musical is that there are no songs that you come away singing from it oh right the one that should be be the most memorable is probably 96,000 because that was yeah. a big cool number but it's kind of a rap musical in that way it, it's oh, not right, melodic right. in the same way that a Sondheim musical or a right the Rogers one that sticks with me is when the lights go out and they sing powerless oh. or powerless that was the closest I, oh. I'm recalling to kind of a traditional melodic style of singing. But I don't think you're supposed to be coming out of a musical like this humming because it's a different style. Completely. Yeah, that's an old benchmark that doesn't really apply anymore. I have to say, I thought the acting was top notch. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Smith as the oh, father. Oh, he was great. He was great. I thought he was really, very good all around. I, I thought he was as good as I have ever seen him. And I love that idea that in his storyline and his daughter. I had never really considered what it must be like to be second generation and in a way be held hostage to the dreams that your first generation oh, parents had yeah. about how success was supposed to look and how yeah. helping the family was supposed to look and how carrying on the name was supposed to look and, and the burden that that puts on the second generation kids. I did think after I saw it and thought about it for a while, I was thinking about this while I was watching it too, it seems to exclude gay people to a pretty large extent. There was a trans person in the nail in the, salon, in the salon, but she was very much kind of a minstrel yes, version of what a trans person so. is supposed to be like. Huh. I was talking about that with a friend of mine who's Mexican today and also is queer, and she said no, she picked up on that right away. But she also said that Lin-Manuel Miranda himself wrote some beautiful poem that had to do with inclusivity for LGBTQ people, that oh. it's not a shortcoming of his, but it's just, I don't know if it was a blind spot or if they just didn't want to go into it, but it was very much a heterosexual tale. And it wouldn't have been that difficult to include gay yeah. people, certainly in the dancing, right. in the, the storylines. Right. You know, I was thinking about it today and I thought, well, is he trying to make us invisible or is he just clueless or did he just make a creative choice not to include that aspect oh, of but what if, life in the 
in the hood. When Needham came back, instead of going to Benny, oh, it was yeah. Bernice. Yeah, something like that would have been cool. But yeah. it's his show. He gets to write it how he is. I don't mean to impose. It's so much... For being so contemporary. It's such a celebration of diversity. And it, it seemed like there was a little bit of a hole in it yeah. around that. I hadn't thought about that, but you you're know? absolutely right. I did want to mention that when I go to stay in New York in a week and a half, I will be staying in Washington Heights. Yay! Yay! So I'm kind of wondering, there's going to be more tourism there? It, it is. They're going to, you're going to see Green Line buses up there. Probably. For sure. Probably. And boy, will they be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's not going to be any dancing in the street that yeah. I'm sure of. Well, we have to say goodbye now. Okay. Bye-bye, boomers. Bye, boomer friends. We will talk to you again in a week. See you soon. Bye-bye.